This episode of the Sunspots Comics Podcast is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo is a t-shirt line uniquely infused with augmented reality and inspired by cryptozoology figures like Bigfoot. It is designed by artist and owner Julian Meyer, and check out the amazing unique shirt designs at cryptidzoo.com. And don't forget to use the promo code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you will get 25% off your shirts. Again, that's www.cryptidzoo.com. If you're looking for a place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where love no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics now It's both joyful and triumphant. And I'm singing. I'm singing. Hello, Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Welcome. You are listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast 86, covering the comics that I myself bought on Wednesday, New Comic Book Day, December 21st. And this particular issue is loaded with some Christmas tamales and some delicious comic book stuffing. I am your holiday pie-filled host, Chris Latore. Oh, so stuffed I can hardly breathe. Thank you for joining us here on the Sunspots Comics Podcast, where I recommend to you an amazing list of comic books to read every single week. Maybe you're brand new to comics, just not sure what to get. That's what Sunspots Comics Podcast is for. Or maybe you've been reading since the very beginning of time, like myself. And you just want to save some time, save some money, and have someone tell you what the best comics are this week. Uh, well, that's what Sunspots Comics uh, Podcast is definitely here for. So thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all the social media at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Xbox Live, at Sunspots Comics. We would appreciate that. And check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Tophelat. That's T-O-P-H-E-E-L-A-T. Just posted something there just before I started this podcast, so check it out. There's not much there, but uh, it's growing, and there'll be more stuff in the near future. Also, two thank yous, of course, Nick Papa George for making our fantastic Sunspots Comics theme song. I love it. Please check out his work on facebook.com slash Nicholas Dell Music. It'll lead to all things Nick. If you like reggae, rock, 311, ska, just positive-natured reggae kind of music, this stuff's for you. Check him out on iTunes, Nicholas Dell or Solution is his band. Also, thank you to my son, Justin Jables Latori for his work on our Sunspots Comics blog. Please check it out at blog.sunspotscomics.com and follow him on the Instagram at JustSunspots. He said that he's doing a new one on Rogue One, so coming very soon will be a detailed blog on that. And also check out Podcast 85, where him and I sit down and spoil the heck out of it and talk about Rogue One, the movie, and review it. Fantastic. But uh, go check out, uh, it's on the feed there, podcast issue 85. So let's jump right in to this Christmas-infused Sunspots Comics podcast number 86 with 
some stuff floating around in my nerd brain. That's right. And the very first thing is Christmas, the old holiday festival. <laughs> it felt different this year and actually super special in a few different ways. I mean, generally, I think it was from the overall just positive feelings that I had from my wife and my son and my stepsons and family and friends. I just kind of really extra felt it this year. And so here are some highlights for me in really no particular order, just how it's floating around in my nerd brain. The first thing was from the gift from my wife, Patsy. Hi, Patsy. She uh, just got me something of just some serious epicness. She got me a custom pair of glasses from this company called Sire's Crown. They do custom uh, like eyeglass frames that are made of wood. And the owner, founder, CJ, he helped me custom design a pair of Zombie Destroyer glasses. Uh, the comic book that I'm writing with art from my friend and Zombie Destroyer artist, Jordan Hudson. They look amazing. I just can't wait to get them. It's going to take a couple of weeks. I met CJ at WonderCon and KamikazeCon. They always have booths at most of the Comic-Cons, so you can check them out and see them there. Again, it's called Sire's Crown. And you can even see a picture of the, of the design, that uh, the final sort of customer proof that CJ and myself put together of my Zombie Destroyer's glasses and I, I they're just awesome just check it out on on you can see it on all the instant on instagram twitter facebook and everything and uh, check out uh jordan's art uh for zombie destroyers on his instagram at jordan underscore hudson underscore art and you can actually see something i posted of his on my site sunspotscomics.com just click on jordan hudson and you'll see a little sample page of there from jordan and check out it's, if you're ever at a con, just you'll see Sire's Crown Eyewear, but you can also check them out at sireseyewear.com. I mean, they're not a sponsor. I'm not really, uh, uh, you know, we're not connected in any way, but it's just a fabulous product. It's all made in the U.S., and it's custom-designed eyewear. Even the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn, bought a pair and wears a pair, and if you follow him on Facebook, you can see his, his design, his Guardians of the Galaxy design that he came up with. But it's good stuff. I love it. I can't wait. And thank you again, Patsy. What an amazing gift I'll, a gift I'll never forget. And I'll be wearing it all the time. So you'll see me in pictures with it very, very soon. Just counting the days. Also, I've been talking and leading up about my Amazon wish list. And I wanted to say that this year, the one item that I got from my Amazon wish list, that was a comic book that I never read, was The Dark Knight, A True Batman Story by Paul Dini. Thanks to my pops, Roger. Hey, pops. Hey, dad. Which I was amazed just recently he told me he's listening to the podcast. I mean, props to you, Dad. I know that you don't have the smartest of smartphones and you figured it out. <laughs> so I was very impressed with that. And thank you for listening, Dad. But thank you mostly for that, that Batman book. I love it. It's, again, that true story about Paul Dini, who was a writer of Batman comics and the Batman animated series that had a serious, heavy-duty, tragic event happen to him. And he sort of expresses that in comic book form. So I can't wait to I cannot wait to dig in and read this. Uh, I've heard so many positive reviews on it. So check that out. Again, it's called A Dark Knight: A True Batman Story by Paul Dini. Uh, it's on Amazon, but uh, it's awesome. I can't wait to I can't wait to dig into it. And I, I went right to Amazon and and I, I was looking for something for my dad because we kind of all talked about putting Amazon wish lists together, and he really had nothing on there. But he kind of mentioned. That if he was going to collect something, because he knows that I collect way too much stuff, he mentioned that he would collect a Millennium Falcon. And I was like, oh my gosh, I grabbed my phone, I popped it on Amazon, went right there, added it to 
to the cart and got him a Millennium Falcon, like an 8-inch replica, movie-accurate replica that he can have on his desk. And uh, I saw the look on his face, and he loved it. So that was just very cool that uh, my dad, who doesn't mention ever really that he wants anything, to mention that he actually wanted a Millennium Falcon, which just my nerd brain exploded. <laughs> but that's pretty cool, and I'm glad that... Uh, and thanks again, Dad. And uh, a couple of other things, too, that were just very cool this time of year was uh, Disneyland. My wife and I have annual passes, and we love just the look, the feel, and it was raining the last time we went, and it just had this, just, it really just filled our hearts with, with warm holiday feelings. And that was super, that was a super duper highlight. Another thing I just posted, uh, I know I'm going to be all over the place. Like I said, no particular order. There was this house in Chino that we went and visited that had these amazing Christmas lights. I just posted it to YouTube. So again, check it out, youtube.com slash Tofilat. And they had this synchronized, you know, audio Christmas playlist that you could tune in to like 94.5 in your car and watch this synced, beautiful music and a light display, Christmas light display, and it was fantastic. And I just put a smidge of it there. But uh, if you live in that general area, the city of Chino, you have to go there and check it out. It's actually on Yelp, and you can find it that way by just putting Chino Christmas lights, and it'll it'll direct you there. But it really just filled us with a bunch of holly jolly. So that was just very, very cool, another little highlight. And I have to say that uh, my family and my friends, uh, thank you so much for putting together some great Christmas parties this year. I mean, uh, even the company Christmas party that I had, which every year is nice. They don't allow us to take anyone with us, but even uh, even the company uh, had a little something special going with it where I work. So, uh, yeah, props and thank you to everyone and the family and friends. You know who you are, and some of you do listen to the podcast, so hello and thank you. You put together some great parties. I mean, my in-laws, my parents. It was just, uh, it, it was very heartwarming. Oh, and my sister, we had a uh, Christmas dinner and she put together something really super special. I'm not uh, a, the, the biggest uh, fan of, of beef and meat, per se. I don't eat it very often. But my sister brought this diamond level Wagyu beef, which in the levels of beef, I guess, it's even beyond Kobe beef. It's like the very tip top to have diamond Wagyu beef. And uh, as I'm looking at it online, I was surprised it's like, you know, it's on people's like, your bucket list to have Wagyu beef because uh, it's very expensive and it's very delicious and there's all these rules and regulations and the ways that the cows have to be raised etc and whatnots but um man that was life-altering <laughs> it was super super good I probably only have beef once or twice a year but man thank you Carrie I know you occasionally listen so that was quite a treat Wagyu beef look it up if you ever get a chance to have some go to her restaurant go to Taps Fish House and Brewery just look it up Taps, fishhouseandbrewery.com. Uh, it's uh, amazing stuff. Delicious. Melts in your mouth. Just, mm, not in your hands. Also, the uh, the next thing was Rogue One. Over the holidays, I got to the third viewing of it. Christmas uh, day night, after the uh, family party was over, uh, Justin Jables asked me if I wanted to go see it with him and his friends. And I first initially thought, well, that's kind of weird. Their dad, you know, 40-something-year-old pops hanging out with a... A bunch of teenies but uh, <laughs> it was cool I just uh, I, I I was excited to see it for a third time and uh, the second time the uh, some of the events in the theater took took some of the experience away the second time uh, also the screen was very dark but the third time was way better and also it was just a much more excited crowd like you could tell people hadn't seen it yet 
and uh, it was just feverish. You could feel it in the audience. People were clapping and really laughing and and reacting to certain beats of the movie. And it it uh, it still was just a joy to watch. It was a fantastic, fun action sci-fi movie that uh, did have a level of darkness to it, but it was so good and fantastic. And uh, it's one of the only movies I've seen more than once this year. That says a lot. Because I didn't even see Doctor Strange twice in the theaters. So uh, go see Rogue One if you haven't, and go check out again issue 85 on the feed. You'll see, you'll hear Justin and I reviewing Rogue One and talking about it heavily. Also, I wanted to, just another thing inside my nerd brain is uh, what I got from my family and loved ones and friends. Uh, the Star Wars Elite series. This is the Disney-only exclusive, Disney Store exclusive, die-cast metal Star Wars Elite action figures. Now, I haven't collected action figures in a long time, but these are a little larger in size, and they're die-cast metal. These things are solid and heavy, and the amount of detail is super-duper good. I'm sure you've seen them out there. You've seen them online. Well, I got three of them, and I just posted a picture of them. I got uh, Rey and BB-8. I got the Han Solo and Kylo Ren. And, oh, last night, uh, the surprise one was my dad again. Thanks, Pops. Got me K2SO from Rogue One. And this was in the Black series, not the metal one, but in the Black series, which is still amazingly detailed and super, super good. And a little larger than that three and a half, four inch action figure I was used to collecting when I was just a, a wee child. These are a little bigger in the close to maybe seven inch range, five to five to eight inch range. And so highly detailed and props to, to Disney and Marvel and Star Wars for making a fantastic and Hasbro. That's who also partnered with the toy line series for doing a very detailed action figure, so I'm going to be, uh, I think I'm going to open these. I'm not sure. I put a post out recently. I was thinking about opening them, but I don't know. It's kind of goes against how I was raised. I'm not sure, but uh, if you have thoughts on that about me opening action figures, let me know, because <laughs> I hesitate. I don't want to do it. And also, oh, my brother John got me a cool gift too, the uh, Star Wars comic book postcards. And I've been talking about actually wanting to send out little thank you cards or a thank you postcard to various people that say hello and give me positive reviews uh, and social medias, etc. And just actually send out something tangible, right? Paper with an actual stamp and a, a handwritten personal thank you postcard. And that's what I'm going to do with these Star Wars comic book postcards. They're fantastic. It was on Amazon. They're called The Art of Star Wars Comics 100 Collected Postcards. So uh, coming to you soon. Uh, like to someone that I want to throw a quick mention out to on iTunes, I recently got a a fantastic review from Ruben underscore the Pitbull. <laughs> Thank you for your fantastic five-star review and your positive blurb. And uh, I really appreciate that. And you, you took the time to to say some fantastic, nice words. I want to read it all verbatim, but, but Ruben put out things like, he's glad that I don't cuss on it so he can listen with his kids and things like that, or kids can listen to it. But uh, I'm not uh, exactly quoting it, but... Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, Ruben. Thank you for the kind words, and thank you for that five-star review on iTunes. It means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. So thank you. We, we, uh, it means a lot to us here. <laughs> so uh, another thing that's uh, popping up inside my nerd lobes is the uh, Comic-Con coming. It's a Las Vegas or uh, Los Angeles comic book and science fiction convention. It's on Saturday and Sunday, January 7th and 8th. It marks their 40th anniversary, and they have some top-notch stuff lined up this year. I was surprised that their Artist Alley is even more robust and, and a larger, 
groupings of people. It's uh, and some top-notch artists, which I was really surprised. They've they've definitely kicked it up a notch. And also, where I mostly spend my time is in the artist alley. But this year, it's just extra packed with some celebrity signings, like uh, Sasha Williams, Sonequa Martin-Green from The Walking Dead. Uh, she's there. Uh, King Ezekiel, uh, Kari Payton is there for signings. Josh McDermott, who plays Eugene. I'm sure that he is there from The Walking Dead on AMC. He will be there. Uh, George Perez, artist uh, legend George Perez. Uh, just a, to name a few that are going to be there. Even a artist that I'm super excited about that signed something for me recently. And uh, his name was, uh, last name's Mayhew. So he's going to be there. Michael Mayhew, if I believe. I'm looking at the giant list. Yes, Michael Mayhew. Star Wars uh, artist. Sometimes he's uh, there maybe every fifth issue for some reason they have like a rotation of people But he particularly does the obi-wan flashbacks where obi-wan was protecting luke on Tatooine when they do those journal entries Mike Mayhew has done that if you want to see some interesting star wars storytelling pick out those Recently in the last 20 issues the Mike Mayhew art particular issues where he is doing the flashbacks the journal entries of obi-wan talking about protecting Luke on Tatooine. Very, very good stuff. But anyway, I'm going to be going to that show, so more details coming soon about the Los Angeles Comic Book and Science Fiction Convention. Again, January 7th and 8th, Saturday and Sunday. So mark it on your calendar. It's their 40th anniversary, and they are, they're ramping it up. So very, very cool. The next thing on my nerd lobes is the, just a quick mention of the 2016, the best of 2016 tabulation that I'm still working on. So you can have kind of an awesome look back on 2016 and everything that were the top of the lists for me so I'm putting that together it's coming very very soon probably the first part of the year to go back and pick my favorites you know like favorite all-ages comic favorite horror comic favorite hero superhero comic and favorite writer favorite artist just things like that I'm gonna break it down and do the best of 2016 tabulation so that's that's coming very soon it's definitely on my nerd brain and the last thing on my nerd brain is that I'm writing a comic book called Zombie Destroyers. That's right. And I'm actually doing the, the primary writing, the coloring, the lettering, and my good friend Jordan Hudson is doing his fantastic art. Check him out on Instagram at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art. His art is beautiful. Thank you so much, Jordan. I also have the website zombiedestroyers.com. So just go there, check it out, put your eyes on it. I posted some samples of pages one through four of the comic. And uh, you can, there's no words on it, but it's just some sample pages. You can kind of get the gist as you look at the art, because it's beautiful. And uh, hopefully, issue number one of Zombie Destroyers will be out in Q1. Maybe Q2 at the latest, but uh, I still have a lot of the coloring to do. And just a quick Zombie Destroyers update, which I do every so often. I've actually got 15 and 16 pages uh, uh, recently that Jordan mailed to me in my possession. And I've finalized the writing on 17, 18, and 19. Uh, we're hoping to be finished at about 25, 26. And so we're the, the end of issue one is coming to a close, which is so exciting. I'm going to be ending issue number one on a super duper cliffhanger, which I know you're going to love. So I can't wait to show it to you. Again, that's my comic book, Zombie Destroyers. Check out zombiedestroyers.com. Yes. And next up, just another quick mention of the segment on the show called Spotlighting, which I love. I don't have any submissions this week, but there is some stuff coming up very, very soon where I will be interviewing, talking to some up-and-coming comic book creators. So if you are one or yourself or you know someone that is an independent comic book creator like myself, we want to shine some Sunspots Comics love and support to those struggling creators. It's tough. It's tough. 
tough to get your work out there. So I want to share that here and have this little segment. So if you yourself are a writer, an artist, a colorist, a letterer, just you want to have make your living in comic books, just send me a link to your work or a review copy just to my email, chris at sunspotscomics.com. Or of course, just message me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. at sunspotscomics. I am an independent comic book creator myself, and I want to do my part to help those people struggling out there to spending their lives in the realm of comic books. So there you go. And also, uh, so let's cut all that. Thank you very much for hanging in there. Let's get right into my favorite part of the Sunspots Comics podcast, which is my comic book reviews and recommendations, where I pick my personal favorite comic books for New Comic Book Day, December 21st. And spoiler-ish alert but don't worry i really work hard just to make sure that you're you're just pumped you're jazzed you're just ready to buy these comics and walk into a local local comic book shop so i don't want to spoil them for you i stay away from the last couple of pages so no worries there and i don't give you every single plot point i give you some of the just some of the maybe some of the interesting sort of random particular plot points to kind of keep you interested and uh, that's all I'm really trying to do is get you to go into a local comic book shop and buy these comics immediately. And if you want to see a breakdown of everything that I'm reading, all of my favorite picks of the week since May of 2015, just go to sunspotscomics.com and click on pull list to see the recently updated 133 titles that I buy and read. And also click on comic books, top comic books of the week to see all of my past top picks. So it's all there for you. It's cataloged. It's laid out pretty simply. I just recently updated the site, so check it out. I'm super proud of it. But again, that's sunspotscomics.com for all the, the mother load of lists that are there. <laughs> and also this week, I all and every week, I like to pick a art winner and a cover art winner from the comic books that came out this week. And the art winner this week was Gabriel Rodriguez for his art on the Lock and Key Small World one-shot from Dark Horse Comics. It is uh, beautiful, and he is a master classman in his attention to the small details, which is actually super important on this comic book because the focus of this comic book is around a very detailed dollhouse, like a super teeny like small dollhouse. So he really had to actually pay attention to a lot of the smaller art, the background art, the sometimes art that some artists will just sort of throw away or keep very just sort of clunky and basic and even sometimes it's just color smears to know that something is there. He doesn't do that here <laughs> at all. He has to fine line detail every single part of this beautiful comic book. And Lock and Key is set in the world of horror, which he does a fantastic job of way, the way he lays his paneling out sometimes, where it really leads the eye in these long shots. And the way he uses the sort of dark shading and colors really sets a kind of ominous, kind of scary tone to the Lock and Key series. And I was glad to see it back, and it's that original team, and it's just beautiful art. He has some of the best facial, emotional looks in the eyes and on the, on the cheeks and mouth area. He is a top-notch artist, Gabriel Rodriguez. Uh, whatever he it draws, I have to purchase. It's He's that good, folks. And it really puts you there. It's just uh, his art style. Just it's, It is sort of on the cartoony style, but he it's, it's just the way that he uses emotion and uses, like I said, the panel layouts and the, and the toning of the color and the way he uses blacks uh, in, in 
the the shading and the shadowing it's just gorgeous he is a, a master classman as i said so and also the uh, the art cover winner this week is also lock and key for this retailer incentive cover uh, i don't usually spend any money on retail incentive incentive covers because they're so expensive like 20 30 50 dollars uh, but this particular cover of lock and key this retailer incentive is the art by shane leonard and the small world key that's in it's more of like a photograph like a like a studio quality photo shoot of a dollhouse it's it's both frightening and also sort of christmas beautiful at the same time because it has greens and reds and some sort of holiday decorations but it's you can tell it's miniature but it's very intricately detailed and it really just pairs and goes along so well with the story because like i said the story is centered around a dollhouse and uh, I, like I said, I never really go with any of the crazy costs that retailer incentives uh, variant covers cost. But this time, my local comic book shop actually gave it to me at face value, so I could not pass that up at all. So I grabbed that. But check it out. The retail incentive cover of Lock and Key, Small World, The One Shot by Shane Leonard. It is st stunning. Out of this world. I'll post something on social media very soon about it. Also, a special mention to something that just kind of came into my brain is The Flintstones from DC Comics. This is written by Mark Russell and art by Steve Pugh. And I just recently read issue number one, and it was really good. Uh, but they're up to issue number six, so I'm going to play some catch-up on that and let you know if it's going to make the great list, because I want to uh, discuss it if it is, because it's definitely something a little different. When you think of a Flintstone comic, you're initially thinking of just kind of an extension of the cartoon and this is not that at all <laughs> this is sort of an, a very adult take with some with some very topical things that are happening in the world of bedrock that's infused into uh you know the, the way that the flintstones storytelling and, and art style and design and and the way that all the dinosaurs speak etc but it's a ton of fun but it also uh tips on to some very serious issues that are going on in the world so very unique and different, the Flintstones. I would have just 9 out of 10 times passed on it, thinking that it was just an, ex an extension of the old cartoon of the Flintstones, but it is nothing like that at all. But more to come on that, because I've only read issue number one. It was solid good, and I want to see where two through six are and give you a kind of a breakdown and hopefully give you a future recommendation of Flintstones, because I'm really excited to read that. So I hope it's great. And also the breakdown... This week, the breakdown is that I bought 27 comics this week. Huge week. And uh, only 10 of them made it to my favorite great pick list. So that's less than that 50% that I want to be at. But the 10 that made it were solid. I mean, so good. And uh, new number ones. Just a little uh, mention, of course, of all the new number ones. There were five. You had Lock and Keys, Small World. You had Gamora, issue number one. Claws, Witch of Winter. Justice League versus Suicide Squad and Dead Inside, and three of the five of those made it to the great top pick list, which is very, very good, so I'm excited to talk about those. So here we go. These are my favorite comic book picks for New Comic Book Day, December 21st. And let me tell you, what an awesome mixed bag of comics this week. I mean, there's just a little something for everyone So on this list, which is exactly how I like it. It's just a, it's the, it's, Definitely a mixed variety, a diverse bag of different styles of comics, and uh, I love when that happens. Anyway, so here we go. Coming in at number 10 
is from Dark Horse Comics, Black Hammer, issue number six. And this is written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dean Ormston, and colorist Dave Stewart. I love the little blurb here, which I even, I read it every single month this comes out. And it's on time, which says a lot. It's an on-time delivery of a monthly comic from Jeff Lemire, which is a big deal. But I have to read this blurb to you. So just sit back, relax, and listen to this. <laughs> the Golden Age heroes of Spiral City have been banished from existence. Now they pass the time in a quiet farming community cut off from the world they once knew. Abraham Slam and Barbalian are making connections with the locals, but Golden Gale has been withdrawing deeper into her own misery. Taki Waki has been trying to contact the outside world with no luck so far. And who knows what the bizarre Colonel Weird and the inscrutable Madam Dragonfly think about their life on Black Hammer Farm. So it's it's definitely an homage to the golden age of comics. And this particular issue centers around the origin of Madam Dragonfly. And now I would say this one is the furthest departure of the characters being like so easily comparable to something else in the Marvel and DC world. But Madam Dragonfly is definitely the furthest departure because you have Abraham Slam, who's kind of like a Captain America, and it kind of goes on from there. But the Madam Dragonfly character they introduce here does something a little different to where she's talking to us. The, the fourth wall breaks. She's speaking to the readers, and it's addressed in like this Twilight Zone style of, of speech, and I love it. And she's saying, hey, readers, welcome to the Cabin of Horrors. So the, the gruesome beginning here shows that the mortal version of Madame Dragonfly, uh, her son has passed away as a baby and was ill because this was so long ago and and there was no way to to keep her baby alive. And so she goes to this this witch in this this extremely creepy Cabin of Horror, <laughs> this little Cabin of Horror, by the way little cabin of horse and so she just desperately begs for the the madam dragonfly to save her her baby who's already passed but she's desperate and she's she's beaten and 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 weathered and just uh and just you can see it in the emotional the way that uh, the art is just so gorgeously done here from dean ormston you see the emotion in her eyes and it's it's she's welled up with tears and she just looks beat down and she's just begging for this witch to somehow save her, you know, her her baby that's died. And so she agrees to help her, but with a cost, of course, a twist. Always a twist and a cost. But uh, she doesn't explain what that will be. And um, all she does really is pass the powers, pass the torch of the Madame Dragonfly curse to this woman. So uh, it's uh, she definitely uh, things don't get better, <laughs> and there and her baby isn't brought back to life. There's no zombie child here, <laughs> but uh, wow, what a little twist there! And she sprouts the dragonfly wings, and there's kind of a metamorphosis scene, which is really well done, and the curse is passed on, and and part of the curse is that she has to sort of remain with that the the creepy cabin, like it goes the cabin of horror goes with her wherever she goes, so they're trapped in this midwestern town and that creepy cabin is trapped with her so hats off in the writing there that's something a little different where the witch's creepy house has to go with her wherever she goes <laughs> but she is uh, a couple of townsfolk are approaching her her place the cabin 
and she tells them to leave and warns them, but they don't, and they get into a into a scuffle here, and she uses her powers on one of them, and something very interesting happens. Very unique. I was not expecting a definite twist, and I really, really liked it, so you have to read it for that. I don't want to spoil it for you. But then we dip back into the other characters and how Golden Gale is really this uh, 50-year-old woman trapped in like a 10-year-old body, and they're forcing her to go to elementary school every day, and she just hates it, and she's depressed and sad, and she sort of pours her love out to <laughs> to one of the characters here, which I won't say which one, and yeah, there's no reciprocation there. It's pretty sad and kind of a gut-wrenching moment, but... It's a definite glimpse, like I said, into how the whole team is doing. They're trying to escape from this strange farm town, which they, they seem to be sort of trapped there in limbo, some sort of strange curse by one of these Omega-level bad guys called the Anti-God. But they're still... Jeff Lemire is still laying this sort of mystery out in a nice, kind of slow, well-paced... Uh, and it, it's not too slow to where you're losing interest. I'm definitely excited to get this every single month, and like I said, it's on time, but uh, it's got a little bit of, this particular issue has definitely a little bit of horror mixed in with that superhero golden age feel, and I love that. It just comes together really well, and it's an interesting bunch of characters that Jeff Lemire has really developed here, and that's the core of this story. So definitely check out Black Hammer. And coming in at number nine is uh, four kids walk into a bank, and this is issue number three, and the kids finally walk into the bank. <laughs> and I love how the uh, the artist uh, and writer here lay out how they, um, how they say, <laughs> they use the F word, that they finally walk into a bank. <laughs> they effing finally walk into a bank. We're on issue three. <laughs> That's a little bit of the dropping of that, 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 that fourth wall again as well. But uh, this is uh, brought to us by the writer uh, Rosenberg and uh, he doesn't oh Matthew uh, Rosenberg and the art and design Tyler Boss and Tyler Boss is really doing some interesting unique different things here in his art style and design you have to see it there's a lot of repeating pattern moments that happen there's a lot of sort of there's always a kind of a flashback moment where the kids are all playing a board game or Dungeons and Dragons or something and they infuse their actual personalities into what's happening there. I don't want to totally spoil all of it, but I can tell you it's a lot of fun when the kids are just playing a game and you think it's really sort of happening and it's in that world of whatever the board game is or the Dungeons and Dragons game is. And you love to sort of live in that strange little world that uh, in this particular case, it's like they're... They're playing a game that has cars involved, yet they all have their own sort of unique personality kind of infused into those cars, and it's it's just an interesting, unique twist on some storytelling here, which I love. It's very uniquely done. And the coloring and the shading on this is so, like, this natural tones of, like, grays and purples, and it's just a realistic tone and color with some very sort of cartooning-like art here. But it's still very gorgeous. But this is just a very, I mean, a snapshot of this, the elevator pitch, if you will, is like a sort of very diverse mix of of kids, like kind of in the 80s, that are a bit messed up, they're a bit uh, on the fringes, they're they're kind of your, your, your out, they're not jocks, they're not super smart, they're just kind of the nons, they're, they're just a, that group of misfits, ultimately. They're getting into some serious trouble because 
the main character, one of the main characters in this young group of kids that are like preteens, Paige, her father was or is involved in organized crime in some way, and he has these uh, college guys, high school guys that are coming around and harassing the kids, and they've come across the plans for these older guys to rob a bank, and they've decided. <laughs> as a group and as a voting collectively that they want to beat these older kids and rob the bank themselves so this is kind of the the research here that they're doing they're in the library they're they visit the bank uh with a disguise that i don't want to totally ruin everything for you and these preteens are actually trying to come up with a realistic way to rob a bank <laughs> and that's the gist of this story so it's messed up uh for some reason for me it just it, uh, it, I'm not really gravitating to any particular character or, or anyone that you're rooting for because the kids are all a little messed up and a little, I don't know, not very likable, but it's uh, definitely an interesting story and uh, it's messed up. That's, that's kind of what the, the core element is. If you want to see kind of a messed up comic that is very violent and, uh, and is very strange and unique and out there and, and quirky and has this sort of very independent feel like nothing in comics, then four kids walk into a bank is for you. And this is, uh, it's going to be kind of hard to get because it is through Black Mask, uh, the publisher Black Mask, so not a lot of your LCSs are going to pick it up. But it is on Comixology if you have to go that route and buy it digitally. But uh, it's so not on time. <laughs> I think issue number two came out like two months ago, three months ago, so you might want to wait until all four issues come out of this, or five, when they put it into a collection, but it is very good. Four kids walk into a bank. Now, coming in at number eight is uh, a one-shot, a Christmas one-shot. This is, it was nice to actually have a, a holiday comic in the, in the week just before Christmas, but it's uh, Claws and the Witch of Winter. This is written by Grant Morrison and art by Dan Mora. This is from Boom Studios. So it might be a little tougher to get. Plus, it was eight bucks. It was $7.99, but I want to say there were over 60 pages. So it felt like a good value because the story really pays off. And the art by Dan Mora is gorgeous. Dan Mora is just so clean, very cartoony, but an adult style cartoony. Maybe a little tip of the anime in that realm. Uh, no oversized eyes or, or strange uh, body proportions, but, but it has that sort of feel to it and it's a, so hyper beautiful coloring here just vibrant I love that and it has the complete holiday feel in claws his the previous uh, run is over so this is just a one shot and this introduces this kind of like uh, I guess she reminds me of like uh, the frozen the queen in, in, in the uh, in the Disney movie frozen she kind of has that that feel who this winter witch is but what I like is that they throw Claws into modern day. Now, the, the comics prior were never in modern day, and he sort of doesn't know how he got there, but he sort of walks into a home where these two children are kidnapped, and the dad is kind of freaking out. And there there is traces of, like, a ice monster that uh, tramped through the room and, and stole the children. So that's the core of the story, although Claws doesn't know how he arrived there, and he's chained up, and yet he can break through the chains saying that his strength is returned and he just somehow was transported to this to modern day in this like high-rise apartment like in New York and so he's trying to 
figure out why he's there, but he's he's very heroic. And so he quickly says, well, I need to help you find these children, and I'm going to go on the hunt. And his wolf companion, which is great, Lily is there again, his best friend. And she is there, and she has this amazing sense of smell, so... He picks up something that belongs to the kids, and then the adventure begins. They're hot on the trail, Claus and Lily, to find the two children that were kidnapped from the Winter Witch. And it is my, like, action-packed winner of the week. I mean, it does not linger or waste too much time. There's not a lot of filler in here, which can sometimes happen with these $8 comics. No, they, they really crammed in a good, solid right hook into this comic, and so it's a solid get. And I think... As I said before, Claus is a Christmas reread for me. This kind of, the standard uh, run of Claus, this kind of tops it. It definitely has a more of a holiday action, Christmas movie kind of feel to it. So if you're looking for that, Claus, the Witch of Winter one-shot is definitely for you. So I don't want to tell you what happens there. Visually stunning action scenes. Dan Mora knows how to do it. He knows how to use the blurring effect for action, and explosions are so beautifully and realistically drawn. But like I said, it is of that adult-style animation, uh, cartooning style, which is beautiful. And who doesn't love a story of sort of the the making of Santa Claus and uh, with his, his trusty companion, Lily, the wolf, the sort of giant wolf, kind of dire wolf of Game of Thrones look. <laughs> but Claus... So great, so good, I'm glad that it uh, was here in the holiday week. And coming in at number 7 from Marvel Comics is Thanos. Thanos, issue number 2. The cover, by the way, is stunning. It has just uh, this beautiful planet and Thanos is sort of standing in on this tree and this butterfly is about to land in his hand, which reminds me of Doomsday when uh, just before the death of Superman when Doomsday was standing there and a bird landed into his hand and he crushes that bird. It definitely has that feel with Thanos, Thanos standing in this tree and this butterfly about to land in his hand. So, almost the cover art winner of the week. Almost, but uh, didn't do it. But this in a gist is that Thanos is dying. He's suffering from a degenerative sort of uh, cellular breakdown. And he is dying and desperately trying to find a way to extend his life. And that's the core of this. But... The setup in the initial part of this that breaks down the planet Nulla, where he's been there for years and years and years, kind of breaks down how he how the planet was before he was there. And it was this gorgeous, tropical, green, lush planet that it was like the Amazon on Earth, but filled the entire planet, where they even used a lot of galaxies used this planet as uh, for medicinal purposes for a lot of the the insect life and the fauna but once it so shows it sets this beautiful tone and here's this love this gorgeous purple landscape and this this crazy alien planet named nulla and then the destruction that happens the fires the the random body parts of, of people that live there flying about because of thanos blasting everyone with his infinity gauntlet uh, quickly goes from this moment of beauty to moment of devastation and you feel it they show townsfolk they show women and children that are just destroyed from the wrath of Thanos and then it kind of brings you up to speed where he uh, just had a battle with Corvus Glaive and ended Corvus Glaive who was running the planet peacefully and in a, a much more diplomatic matter 
while Thanos was gone, but when he arrives, yeah, he takes Corvus Glaive out. And this just picks up right where that left off. And what I like, uh, the, for me, the best part of this particular comic was when Thanos goes to greet his father. And this is very much the, what's happening with the family of Thanos? Because you have his daughters, uh, Gamora and Nebula, are scheming and plotting and gathering a group of people to, to fight and end Thanos once and for all. That's the other core part of this. And, uh, and also another guy that was, uh, he's hailed as the champion through the galaxy, this character. And it's the conspiring of the Thanos clan and family that are going after him to end him. But the best part for me is when Thanos confronts his father. So I don't want to give you give up every single part of it, but it's an interesting conversation. It dips back into the origin of Thanos, which is nice. And uh, talks the father talks openly about some of the things that Thanos has done. So it just really weaves this very in-depth sort of feeling and story and background to Thanos and his father in this this very complex relationship that they have. So I enjoyed that. That's the reason for getting to get this comic, Thanos. And uh, Marvel's on time. And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, you have the team of, for uh, writing, Jeff Lemire, who's doing Black Hammer, so he's on this as well. Artist Mike Diodato who for me sometimes lacks consistency, but he has been, for these last two issues uh, of Thanos, solid. Mike Diodato is doing some top-notch work here, and the coloring, like I said, so otherworldly and just so beautiful, and and it, it, you're, you're, you definitely feel immersed in this world, this, this larger galaxy, and you have to give props to the colorist Frank Martin for that. So uh, it is just well done. Grab Thanos. You will not be disappointed. It's only on issue number two, and it's on time. And yeah, a lot sort of happens in here. I don't want to spoil, but uh, it's ultimately, like I said, the clan, the family of Thanos conspiring to put him down if they can. And that conversation with his father. But uh, coming in at number six is from Dark Horse Comic, Comics Depth, or Department H, issue number nine, from written by Matt Kint. And art by his wife, Charlene Kint. And Charlene has a definite sort of Jeff Lemire art style. If you've ever seen his art style, it's very scratchy. It looks like a... It almost has this childlike feeling to it. Like where it's a... It's, it's actually has a watercoloring-like effect. He uses... Um, the artist here, or she uses, a sort of... Um, like old parchment style on each page so it's it's giving you this very painted feel in department h which i really like that and if you like things like sweet tooth from jeff lemire it definitely feels like that art style and he does uh write the writer spend some time matt in laying out some of the technology this underwater technology like a spider drone he always takes page number one and breaks down some of the technology that he's designed and it's it's very much an ode to animals or ode to octopus and spider and i love that that it this underwater world which very much reminds me of the movie abyss so if you love the movie abyss look it up or liked it even you will love department h but it's ultimately a murder mystery set in this underwater this underwater city basically that's a research science city that is now falling apart and our main character Leah uh, or Mia is trying desperately to find who the killer of her father is in this underwater sub 
city uh, before the the whole thing just collapses and pops upon itself so she's now um it's 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 the action's kicked up heavily here she's trying to they're now trapped her and one of the main characters are trapped in a, in a particular corridor in this underwater city and they are there's there's a nice flashback here infused to a, like a quaint moment with her father so you really do continually feel for her like she needs to solve this mystery because it's really laid out in a nice way this this father and daughter relationship and her father's like a genius and she is is struggling to understand her father and at the same time trying to solve her father's murder and they're introduced to two characters Q and I want to say her name was Lily that are trying to save our main character Mia and the older man that uh, is one of the scientists there when they're trapped in a corridor but you do an interesting thing of laying out here where they're giving the backstory of Q and Lily, but at the same time showing what they're currently doing. So the dialogue is actually just telling the story of old, of Q and Lily, which is definitely interesting. Lily was a friend of Mia's, but she was in a weird way inappropriately attracted to her father, like a displaced attraction where uh, it really he was being more of a father to her, but she was attracted to him and it ended their friendship in an awkward way because of that and that was some unique sort of very uh interesting kind of writing there but that is there so there's there's complexity in that character lily that's in this underwater um city that was dealing with her father and then this q character who almost seems to be an alien he has a lot of sort of purple maybe it's tattooing that's all over his body but he's like hairless and has these almost leopard-like purple blotches all over his skin. And they tell his story of when he was the primary engineer of a different um, expedition, underwater expedition. And it went horribly wrong and he was one of the primary characters responsible for the death of many. And I don't want to tell you every aspect of that story. But again, it's told in a weird way where you're seeing what's currently happened and them trying to save the older man and Mia... But the backstory is is being told in the panels of that, so I thought that was very interesting. Hard to completely describe, but that's the that's the the primary gist of that there. But this is nowhere near. Uh, doesn't feel anywhere near the end. There's it's a large station, underwater science station, and they're they're trying to keep this thing afloat, and everything is kind of going wrong. And it doesn't seem like she's closer to fully understanding because there's just so many times where it seems like everyone was out to kill her father but in this particular one there are a couple of characters here where it's ruled out that they are not they, they could not possibly be uh, the ones that killed her father but man it's just underwater sea adventure it's murder mystery it's some cool underwater science tech involved department h depth super good check it out i know it's been on the pick lists in the future so solid solid comic loving it and it's on time by the way so props to you guys and number five is from DC Comics, the uh, Young Animal imprint. It's Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye. This is written by Gerard Way and John Rivera. And this is art by Michael Avon. And it's, it is so, the art here is so gorgeous. There is like a, a the first page is uh, like an homage to the golden age of comics. And I just, I'm a sucker for that. But it infuses some uh, very old-timey sort of comic book uh, covers and and some sort of new newer uh, very interesting 
very clear lines drawn, but it's uh, it's it's top notch. It's it's quirky. It's weird. It's a it's a weird fantasy sci-fi ride, but this just jumps right into where Cave Carson is. Um, he is being attacked by this company EBX that he worked for, and he does not know why, but they're trying to kill him, and they're setting forth some strange creatures after him. And he manages, it's like a dragon basically that's coming after him, this green monster that's chasing him. And he has to steal one of the EBX vehicles that is a, like it's a, it's a, a miner, like a mole miner that can uh, grind through the earth and, and dig deep into the inner space of our planet. And that's where the adventure kind of takes place. He has uh, Wild Dog, kind of his sidekick, which is this, uh, he's a mix between, I don't know, uh, Jason Voorhees and... Um, the Punisher is kind of, he's like a, he's sort of psychotic and yet he's super duper armed and he's just this crazy macho guy, but he's fun. And their daughter, Chloe Carson is involved as well. Whereas, uh, she is that definite emotional bonding tie between, uh, that, that father daughter stuff, which I love is there with, with Chloe and cave Carson, but they're on the run from this crazy dragon monster. They've got to go deep into the inner innards of, of earth. And uh, through, the, through their digger mobile that they have. And there's a two-page layout here that is uh, showing the sort of variable, the layers of crust of the planet's core and the areas that they're going through uh, underground. And it's uh, it's upside down, it's right side up, it's left side down. It's It plays around with gravity there. And they're just this green, crazy dragon monster is hot on their tail. <laughs> and he comes to explain as well that his late wife, who passed away in issue number one, uh, is of this, she's of this, um, the queen, or princess, of this, this plant, this society that's in this underground, uh, this beautiful underground town uh, that's, that's here, that seems like it's been there for a million years, and it's gorgeous, and uh, there's a moment where he reminisces about his wife that's a little heartbreaking. So definitely, I felt that emotional tie here, and you understand that, like, Cave Carson is going to this underground city uh, for help, but he's reluctant to do so because there are emotional ties there to his late wife. And, uh, and yeah, there's these crazy, like, worm monsters that are chasing them, and, yeah, there's all types of terrain that's giving them some major issues, and then you're introduced into who I think is uh, going to be the bad guy here that works for that company, EBX, that is hot on Cave Carson's tail. But we really don't know why yet, but I think this main character has it out for him and we're going to be introduced to that. But they're pacing it out here well, they don't give you too much, but I am I am definitely hooked, I'm definitely in. I wanna see where this goes, what's going to happen to Cave Carson in this underground city. It doesn't look like it's populated, like where did all the people go? Uh, for maybe his, his, his in-laws of his deceased wife, like what happened here? It's a it's a mystery. It's action packed. It's nonstop fun. Drawn in such a quirky, mind bending sort of art style. A lot of this purpling and orange and dark blues to really give it this kind of dark shading feel. But it's uh, it's otherworldly and it's very immersive. And I, I love the ride that they're putting you on here, going deep into the bowels of our planet. But check out Cave Carson. You will not be disappointed. It is. By far, in my opinion, the best of the Gerard Way young animal imprint of the stories that he's doing. But Cave Carson, just so good. 
and uh, coming in at number three. So here we go. Now we're breaking into the top three, and coming in at number three from DC Comics is Justice League versus Suicide Squad, issue number one of six. This is the surprise pick for me because in the past I I I've been burned, I'll say, by these versus issues. So I tend to stay away from them uh, in the last few years, maybe five to ten years. But I'm I'm dig I dug the Suicide Squad movie and come on Justice League and you see this cover, which I have to give props to writing. You have Joshua Williamson here, who uh, does a ton of stuff that I love, including the Flash, and uh, the art is just so gorgeous and beautiful, done by artist last name is Fabok F A B O K, and uh, I'm searching for his first name. But DC's doing this thing where they put their the, the sort of art credits on like page seven. I don't understand why they do that. It just makes it tough for us to find stuff. Here we go. Jason Fabic is the artist. Joshua Williamson is the writer. And this is just a ton of fun. I mean, it is exactly what you want. I love how they keep... I did was not spoiled and did not know what was coming in this issue. I guess there has been some hype uh, out there in the world uh, talking about this uh, particular issue. But I knew none of it because I definitely steer away towards versus issues there is a, a variant cover by uh, Bargemo as well Lee Bargemo gorgeous where Wonder Woman is like has her boot against the head of Harley Quinn stunning and the way the Sun is in the background I, w uh, I should have grabbed that variant cover because it's beautiful so hyper detailed and very realistic looking check that cover out by Lee Bargemo uh, it's a variant cover but the initial sequence here where they don't show the bad guy, they kind of show his feet, they show him in shadow, they show him reach, they show him approach this, this seriously level 10 uh, prison compound, and he is just using his mind and saying words and telling people to do things with just his, just his speech. Reminds me of like Purple Man from uh, the Daredevil series, but it's not him. But they just show him in shadow, and it's definitely building this sort of tension for who this bad guy is. Which, I'm not going to tell you who it is, got to read the whole comic. But they build up who the villain is this very well with how they don't show his face. They show him in the shadows, but he has the power of persuasion. And uh, yeah, he's using it to dispatch some prison guards in some pretty gruesome ways. And uh, that, they cut away from that, showing the Suicide Squad on this small island... And uh, they just uh, successfully wrapped up their mission, going after some some bad guys. Is all I'll tell you, <laughs> but fun stuff. And the whole crew is there. You have Killer Frost. That's that's now with Suicide Squad. You have Boomerang. You have Deadshot. You have Killer Croc. Harlequin's there. The whole gang is there, and uh, they're um, and even actually the the bad guy in the movie, uh, the woman that was there, the uh, Enchantress, is on their side, and she seems to have her powers under control, but. As they complete their mission, there is some sonic damage done to this town, and it just starts to have this major earthquake. And that's where the Justice League come in. So they kind of come in to save the day, and it's feeling like a very much, okay, maybe this is where the versus begins. But as they make a call to Amanda Waller, as the Suicide Squad, as Deadshot calls Amanda Waller, she tells them, you cannot be caught by the Justice League at all costs. <laughs> and so that is their mission. Uh, they have no qualms. They have, they're not holding back any punches. The Suicide Squad is coming after the Justice League. But, I mean, come on. You got Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. Yeah. And even Green Lantern's there. Aquaman. I mean, it's just uh, the entire team is in here, but it's action-packed. It's non-stop. 
you don't really know who the major bad guy is going to be. It definitely feels like that they, uh, the enemy of, uh, of my, of my enemy is my, is my, you know, <laughs> is going to be my, my teammate in this. But that's okay, because it's so action-packed. I love this sequence where Deadshot is on top of a building, it's, it's being hit by a sonic blast, and he feels that there is just no, he's not going to make it out of this. And just kind of lays his arms wide open and flings himself from the building, and Superman catches him. And he's like, not today, Deadshot. And it's so gorgeously drawn, so iconic with the way Superman is drawn here. And it's very sort of realistic, but super gorgeously colored. Definitely color winner of the week. And uh, have to give props to color artist on this, uh, as I'm looking it up here. is uh, Oh, they have like a, a ton of people on, on colors, but it's like Amanda Connor, Laura Martin... Uh, uh, oh yeah, you even have a variant cover by Gary Frank, who I love. And actually, this very much, Jason Fabok has that that Gary Frank art style here. Super duper clean, gorgeous, and uh, I tell you, it was just a ton of fun. I It was a page turner, there wasn't a ton of dialogue. I want to see where this goes and how they're going to make this, I mean, six issues? Suicide Squad versus Justice League? How are they going to lay that out? How are they not going to kill each other quickly? I mean, I, I just... Couldn't uh, have had any more fun with this. It's just uh, two teams that clash together, and there's some iconic moments where t the teams are just laid out there that are beautiful. Some great two-page splashes that are just jaw-dropping. I mean, I it, it's it's gorgeous. I I got an advanced copy of this, but I bought it on paper at my store. Th that it 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 made that much of an impression. I mean, it looked that pretty that I had to go and buy it. So check out Justice League versus Suicide Squad. It's just fun. I mean, it's not a heavy, deep story. It's just action fun, superhero action fun. And I needed that this week, and I got it from this. So grab it. You will not be disappointed. And coming in at number two, I tell you, this week was basically a tie with number one and two. They could, it could have gone both ways. But number two is Lock and Key Small World One-Shot. This is uh, written by Joe Hill, who, of course, is the son of, of Stephen King, Joe Hill. And the art who was the art winner and art cover winner uh, is Gabriel Rodriguez. Now, Gabriel Rodriguez didn't do the cover that I chose as the winner. It was, uh, again, done. It was like this very super-duper awesome uh, professional photo shoot and uh, of this miniature, this very creepy miniature dollhouse, <laughs> which uh, was just so lovingly done. So many intricate little details. It's, uh, it's gorgeous. And again, uh, cover art winner props to uh, the cover art winner this week, which was, uh, his name was Sean, and uh, already I lost it here. Oh, here it is. Yeah, uh, Shane Leonard, and uh, that World Key, which is done by Israel Skelton. He's of the of the Skelton Crew Studios, because I looked it up. They actually do these very gorgeous actual lock and key keys you can buy in this beautiful velvet pouch that it comes in, and they're, they're about four inches long with some beautiful metalwork done for these keys and I would love them but they're expensive but that is the sort of centerpiece of Shane Leonard's photo shoot of this creepy dollhouse <laughs> but what I loved 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 about this was how they played with reality here you sort of don't know what's reality and what's in this crazy sort of uh, small dollhouse that's come to life so the opening panel is of a large uh, person staring into a, a small dollhouse.
but the characters in the dollhouse seem to be alive. And they also have this doll-like face where their cheeks are rosy. So, but they're a direct reflection of the people outside the dollhouse. So it's like you have the real world happening. It's even hard to explain. The real world happening outside this dollhouse and sort of the exact same people and characters inside the dollhouse that are alive. But they go, they cross those worlds a few times. So you never really know, are you looking at the real world or is this inside the dollhouse? That's the key element that sells this comic. I don't want to spoil it or ruin it anymore, but just giving you the gist of what happens there because uh, it's super duper hard to explain. But there are times where it seems to go back and forth in that reality. But this is going way back into the key house and into the Locke family, uh, the, the ancestry of the Locke family that were in this house and where these crazy keys control doors that can take you to other worlds or make you a ghost or give you sort of superpowers. It just each key and each door has a different set of rules and does different things. And that's why it's such a unique sort of twisted horror story with uh, fantasy elements mixed all in there. And if you love just those genres alone, this is a mashing of it. So you have to get it. And it's, it's very dramatic. It's uh, some of it is very kind of dark in tone and does not always end in the happiest of ways. But um, yeah, these two little girls are playing with this dollhouse and there are people inside of them. But there are, like I said, there are actual animated sort of people. And there's this two page splash here that I will probably never forget because it's the family sitting around for like a holiday dinner. And yet they're surrounded by these shadow creatures and these shadow um, spirits, if you will. They're like ghosts, but they're all black um, and very like they're made of onyx. And it's just creepy. And they're from sort of monsters to to various animals to snakes, and they're all surrounding this dinner table as they break down and introduce each character of the Locke family. And it, it lays out their personality, and it's very, very clear. So it's also, I think this will pair very well and be kind of prequel feeling to the the epic work of the, I want to say, 33 issues of Lock and Key. I'm, I know I'm pretty, pretty much on the money with that. I'm pretty sure there are 33 issues of Lock and Key. But this is, uh, I don't want to say what the hook of this is and how it sort of ends. I'm going to leave that completely alone, but I can tell you it's an interesting fantasy trip slash horror slash introduction to this Locke family which I believe is going to be important and like I said very prequel feeling to the Lock and Key series so if you have nothing if you've read nothing of the Lock and Key it's a great just jump on and grab because there are things happening here within its own that that it's maintaining a very interesting very horrific story and yet also it feels very prequel to the Lock and Key series which you should go get and go by. I saw that they have a omnibus, a three-volume omnibus edition of all 33 issues, which looks beautiful. A lot of gold lame. It's just mm, top-notch. But lock and key, small world one-shot. Go get it. Like I said, art winner and cover art winner of the week. But what edged it out, just maybe by a smidge, but it was pretty much a tie, was the number one pick of the week. This is the the, the winner of it all. Is a <laughs> And I'm loving this series. This is Ether, issue number two. It's the number one pick of the week. This is from Dark Horse Comics. This is from Matt Kent and artist David Rubin. And 
In issue number one, we're introduced to a man that can transport himself to this other sort of fantasy dimension. This is definitely a fantasy style story. It's like other dimensional, worldly sci-fi kind of mix there, but it's a positive sort of look in the realm of sci science fiction and science versus magic. And uh, it reminds me of uh, my buddy Miles Greb and his series After the Gold Rush, which you should check that out. And I'll go into the into the feed and see where I interview Miles My Greb and talk about After the Gold Rush. But this has that feeling. It's a positive-natured science fiction slash fantasy blending the two together where this, this scientist, this older man scientist, is really trying to understand this strange world called Ether that he transports to in this multi-dimensional transport room, which he explains that here and shows it. So I don't want to explain it so it doesn't completely ruin it. But there is a Lord of the Rings-like map in this at the beginning that really shows the layout of this world. And I love that. I love anything that has that Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones-style map in the, in the first page or two of a comic. I love it. But this shows the secret area, the secret room of where he travels to this ether. So he is ultimately a scientist. They show some flashback stuff of him and another person. And they show that... Uh, that he was brought into, like the government uh, told him that they want his assistance in understanding this strange dimensional door and where it goes. And so he references that he's done a ton of scientific research and experimentation to understand what this door to the ether does. And there is a particular kind of very interesting, strange rule of how to enter the ether, which I've never seen anywhere in comics, but it's dark, it's twisted and strange the rule that you must follow to enter the ether. And the art style, by the way, is very out of this world. It's so brightly colored. It's so very much heavily fantasy feel. The The coloring and the art style and design is something that's kind of way out there. Very Doctor Strange-esque, but not too weird, not too trippy, but it's, it's very tangible. The story is very under, uh, easy to understand, very linear, very laid out in a way that uh, doesn't uh, confuse you or make you just kind of not interested. Uh, great storytelling here, great pacing, strangely unique and crazy all over the place panel usage, which, man, I mean, uh, I love it from small reference panels to odd-shaped panels to two-page layouts here of when he travels to the ether, which is uh, just great. It's, it's Like I said, it's that, that magical fantasy realm that he steps into. It's a little bit of that Alice in Wonderland feel. It's all over the place. Up is down. Right is left. Left is right. All that. It's all over the place. And there is a, a guardsman. There is a keeper of the ether gate that <laughs> also uh, f feels he always has to just drop, kick, and punt our, our character into the further realm of the the crossroads of the ether. <laughs> and I love that he believes that he has to do that in literally kicking our main character into the crossroads of the ether. But uh, yeah, our, our scientist is constantly trying to have this gatekeeper uh, have a more scientific approach to things, not just booting him, <laughs> literally booting him into the crossroads, but he won't have it. Yeah, that's just the way he wants to do it. His name is Glum, and he's like this crazy sort of silverback gorilla but he's purple and uh yeah and what at the core of the story there is a, a murder mystery here and he's uh, now a friend of the ether he's very much regarded and respected 
in the in the realm of the ether as someone that is uh, is very good at investigating and getting down to the bottom of things that maybe don't necessarily they're not magic infused but they are based in science and there was a magic bullet which they're actually the magic bullets are creatures and uh, of this little realm I love the magic bullet concept that killed their sort of guardian of the ether uh, that is this uh, the, the flame I believe is her name and she is this uh, this this hyper barbarian guardian with some major sword like play that flames come off the sword and flames come off of her hair and she's been murdered and they're trying to get down to the bottom of it and they go to where the magic bullets come from and that's that's about all I want to tell you <laughs> because I mean there is a, a, a real cliffhangery twist at the end of this uh, that I was surprised on and this is something just very unique and interesting and there's even I love when he when he breaks down sort of the the magical tech that's used here the the artist and writer sort of take two or three pages to break down in an index styling of of what they they currently see a lot of in the realm of ether so I mean it's there's there's fairies and there's magic and there's fantasy but it's deeply rooted in actual science and that in the way that the dialogue is written with our primary scientist character and how he I mean breaks down uh, materials that he can identify of earthly materials but then he is cataloging the unearthly material and it's just like I said it's optimistic science and fantasy and this also gives us a glimpse into the other person that was with our our doctor scientist Boone by the way is his name and what happens to that person she's this person's not with Boone here so where does that person go so definitely uh, interesting mystery murder mystery uh, wrapped in a big beautiful sci-fi science fantasy world <laughs> so there you go that's why it was easily the number one pick of the week it really took us there it's immersive it's uh, just a fun uh, joyful comic book ride and I can't wait to uh, this is a reread for me it just feels that way because of uh, the way the dialogue is written for Boone too is just he's very interesting and he's just very smart and he's he's methodical and he's taking his time here with uh, with researching everything to to come down to get to the bottom of how the flame guardian was was murdered in the realm of ether. So anyway, there you go. That's all of them. That's the entire list of ten that made it to the great list uh, this week. So there you go. Those are all my recommendations for a new comic book day, December twenty first. So please uh, do your patronage. Go to a local comic book shop, walk in there, tell them that Chris from Sunspots Comics sent you to pick up these 10 comics. You will not be disappointed, your money will be well spent. They are fantastic, fun, top-notch reads that I give you my personal recommendation. And if you have any questions, comments, or maybe you'd like your own personal uh, comic book recommendation, just email me directly at chris at sunspotscomics.com. If I choose your email, and uh, I find it interesting. I'll discuss it here in a future podcast. And I'll even send you a f little free comic book prize as a thank you from me. I do have some going out here very soon. And also, sign up for our email newsletter, please. It's sunspotscomics.com contact. And tune in next week for issue number 87 of the podcast, where I'm actually reading 23 comics. And there's three new number ones coming out, so potentially 26 comics coming out. And there is just some outstanding stuff coming out next week, like Saga, issue 41 is coming out, Mother Panic, which is my other favorite young animal DC title written by Gerard Way, Young Panic number two is coming out, or Mother Panic, I think Mother Panic number one came out though, like three months ago, so it's very late. Uh, the Mighty Thor, 
Oh, and Lady Killer, number two by Joelle Jones. Uh, issue number four is coming out next week, so I, I, her art is gorgeous. I heard that she's being signed on to do a Supergirl title, so I'm, I can't wait to see Joelle Jones doing Supergirl. Uh, Shipwreck, issue number three is coming out. Uh, that's a, a, just a twisted cell, a story from Warren Ellis. Another Spook House, uh, which I love from Eric Powell's coming out, the spooky uh, Halloween stories, uh, all ages for kids, and Star Wars, number 26. I'm so Star Wars on the brain with everything that's going on with Rogue One and all the stuff I got from, for Christmas, but there you go, there you have it, there's our show, and please, if you, if you um, be safe out there, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful holiday season, and safe New Year's, and to all uh, the family, friends, listeners, uh, and loved ones, like my wife Patsy, thank you, I love you, and Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays, and to everyone uh, that I know, and, I, and that I care for, I wish you the best, and be safe out there, and have yourself a fantastic all year, but especially around this, this holiday time, so... So there you go. And of course, don't forget to be water, my friend. Be like water. See you next week. Goodbye.